Welcome to Created to Reign, a production of the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. The Cornwall Alliance is a ministry dedicated to helping fulfill the mandate God gave mankind in Genesis 1.28 to subdue and rule the earth in a way that enhances its fruitfulness, its beauty, and its safety for the glory of God and the benefit of our neighbors. I am David Artley Gates, and our topic today is civilization. How do we define a civilization? What makes a society civilized? But before we begin, let me ask you to ponder the question, are there any animals that we would consider to be civilized, or are humans distinctly different from the animal kingdom? The problem is that if you go to any of the major dictionaries and consult the definition of civilization, you will get a definition that is couched in human terms. That is, encyclopedias attempt to define a civilized society as the difference between a group of civilized men and barbarians. So let's look at the criteria that separate civilized people from barbarians. The National Geographic weighs in on what makes for a civilized society. One of those criteria is the development of agriculture. The ability to adapt from a hunter-gatherer food system to one where a society can harvest its own food suggests civilization. But a number of animals exhibit a characteristic that resembles farming. For example, leafcutter ants gather leaves to cultivate a fungus that grows on the leaves. They don't eat the leaves, rather they feed the fungus to their larvae. Termites, too, are fungus farmers, as are ambrosia beetles and marsh periwinkles. Many species of ants herd aphids in a manner similar to our dairy cattle farming. In the ocean, damselfish grow algae and fend off potential predators from their crops, while spotted jellies grow algae inside their tissues, and the yeti crab farms bacteria on its hairy claws. Another characteristic of a civilized society is urban development. Living together as a dense network of individuals afforded partly by the development of agriculture. Many animal species live together in a dense network, such as fish, birds, and ants, often for protection. Of course, the word urban could imply other characteristics as well. Urban development usually requires some form of social or economic stratification, that is, a division of labor. Ants, bees, wasps, and termites, among other species, employ cooperation and characteristics that resemble division of labor. A system of government also is usually associated with a civilized society. After all, if you have lots of individuals living together in close quarters, rules of behavior must be established, maintained, and enforced. While researching this topic, I learned that some animals have been elected to various government offices in the United States. These include dogs, cats, mules, goats, and cows. But that's not quite what we mean here. In animal societies, a rudimentary form of government, defined loosely by a system to make decisions for the collective whole, can be found in red deer, the African buffalo, and meerkats. Another form of governance, elective representation, is observed in chimpanzees, baboons, and even pigeons. Moreover, campaigning for ideas is observed in bees where scouts campaign for future nesting sites through their waggle dance. Another strong argument is made that the development and use of technology is a key to identifying civilization, including the use of tools and toolmaking. The book, Animal Tool Behavior, by Schumacher, Walkup, and Beck, 
identifies a number of animal species that dispel the myth that tool use is limited to monkeys, apes, and humans. It has been observed that polar bears can throw objects with considerable accuracy, wasps can use pebbles as a hammer, an octopus carries around a coconut shell to hide in, and a shrike impales its prey on a sharp thorn. Even dolphins can turn objects in their mouths into tools to manipulate other objects or creatures. Writing or symbolic communication is often cited as a requisite for civilization. But an article last year in the Journal of Social Computing argues that civilizations do not need written languages. The authors conclude that in pre-Hispanic Mesoamerica, writing, mathematics, and the development of calendars are not directly correlated with the level of societal development. Some of the largest empires in Mexico and Central America from 1850 B.C. to 1520 A.D. had no written language, and the authors of the article used other developments to ascertain the level of societal development of the civilization. In some cases, writing was very complicated and thus was restricted to the wealthy elites. Moreover, writing wasn't very useful to convey information over long distances either, as most written texts were not portable. Both art and architecture also are usual requisites to define a civilized society. Although some animals are goaded to create so-called works of art by putting a paintbrush in their mouth, that also is not what we mean here. Numerous insects create art through some form of dance, and some birds create artistic nests to entice their counterpart to mate. Are these displays of their cultural development? Or are they simply a manifestation of their programming embodied within their DNA? And who is to say that termite towers, wasp nests, beaver lodges, redwood ant nests, and bowerbird bowers do not reflect the intricate architecture of a developed society? Most arguments that are used to define civilization do not rely on just one of these characteristics, but they require that a civilization must include most, if not all of them. All I have done is to demonstrate that various animal species have one or more of these traits, but they all lack a preponderance of them. Agriculture, urban development, government, technology, writing, art, and architecture. Only human civilizations can claim all or nearly all of these characteristics. Over the past several months, I've given several presentations on biblical stewardship. That has made me think about Genesis 1, verse 26a. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. On a University of California at Santa Barbara website, I found an additional requirement for a civilized society, a perception of a separation from nature. Indeed, they comment that, quote, humans are the only species to think of themselves as separate from nature, unquote. Indeed, we are separate from nature because God created us to be distinctly different. We are the only creature in his creation that was created in the image of God. Moreover, although God reveals his wisdom and power in the creation, he is, always has been, and always will be distinct from and transcendent over all of creation. In the language of Peter Jones, we espouse twoism worship of the Creator, who is distinctly different from His creation. By contrast, numerous religions exist that either blur the line between or merge creation with the Creator. Atheism, a denial that God exists. Pantheism, worship of many gods having distinctly different forms and substances. 
panentheism, a belief that all things are contained in God, and animism, the belief that objects, places, and creatures all possess a distinct spiritual essence, are examples of these religions. They are in direct contradiction to Romans 125, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Thus, we are not only separate from nature, but we are separate from the Creator. Truly, humans are unique, and thus human life is to be cherished. But the one item that seemed to be missing from the National Geographic discussion was religion. It is unclear as to whether animals worship God. Indeed, they cannot worship God as we do since they are not created in God's image. But through religion, we gain a perception of the universe and knowledge of the existence of God. In Genesis 1 verse 1, we are given a perception of the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1 verses 1 and 2, we are told that God, the only God of the universe who created all things, was there in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Indeed, I also focus on Matthew 22, verses 34 to 38, in my presentations on biblical stewardship. These verses tell us about Jesus in the temple and his summation to the Pharisee that all of the law and the prophets can be characterized by just two great commandments. The first is to put God above everything else. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is in keeping with the requisite that religion be a part of civilization, and in our case, Christianity and the worship of the only true God. But what about the second great commandment? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Dr. Margaret Mead, a cultural anthropologist who was a frequent speaker during the 1960s and 1970s, was once asked, what was the first sign of human civilization? Supposedly, her reply was different than what we have just discussed. She replied, a healed human femur. The femur bone in the leg is the largest and strongest bone in the human body. It takes about four to six months to heal, and in the meantime, the afflicted person requires protection, feeding, and care by another individual. To care for such an individual requires attention to individuals, not the collective whole, and is in keeping with the second great commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. It would be easier to suggest that only the fittest survive and to discard this person as no longer being fit, to enhance the collective whole by discarding someone who cannot continue to contribute to the well-being of the group. Now, I'm aware that there is much debate on whether Margaret Mead actually said or believed this, with compelling evidence that she likely did not do either. Moreover, Margaret Mead is not the best person to quote in a Christian podcast for a variety of reasons. Nevertheless, healing of bones is frequently found among juveniles, but rarely among adults in the natural world, which I think makes my point. We care for our children, and we should, but we also should care for adults as well. The animal kingdom tends to force adults to fend for themselves. But when coupled with a passage in Matthew 22, the Mead answer suggests that the key to civilization is to care for all individuals as individuals and not just protect the collective whole. This, when coupled with the command to put God first in our lives, 
embodies the entirety of the law and the prophets, as Jesus explained in Matthew 22. Thus, an adherence to God's laws makes us civilized and truly separates us from the so-called barbarians. Thank you for listening to Created to Reign. Until next time, I am David Arley Gates, and may God richly bless you.